0: I'm Charles Copland, and you are listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustained Music and Nature. The Trouble with Wilderness is the latest release from my guest, traveling pianist Ben Cosgrove, an instrumental songwriter whose music is directly inspired by landscape, place, and environment.
1: Nature is a thing that I've always been interested in, and, and music is sort of the... the... Tool that I've landed on for kind of grappling with what I'm wondering about, whatever that may be. And luckily, it turns out that I've been an interested. I've been interested in the same thing for the last ten or fifteen years or so. So,
0: where would that start though? Like, how? I, I, at an early, I know you were writing songs. I think you wrote your first song at five, if I'm not mistaken. But it wasn't great. Uh, but yeah. Okay, but you know, it was a song at five. You know, the bar <laughs> is pretty forgiving, but. How, where did the sort of conscious unconscious aspect of nature entering your art as part of your creative consciousness? Where how would that all start?
1: I mean, it, it took a while actually for the two things to to bump into each other. Um, I've I've always written music about stuff, which is not, um, but it is kind of sets me apart as an instrumentalist in a lot of ways, and it, it explains in part why a lot of my friends are. Singer-songwriters and folk musicians and rock musicians, Um, I've always felt it was important to have my songs tied to something bigger than the music itself, like give give people a point of connection for it that isn't strictly limited to the sounds that are there. Um, And I've always been, you know, like an outdoor enthusiast and like interested in geography and interested in hiking, but I never really tried writing music about that until I was in college. Um, And there it kind of began is this? I was a composition major. So it began this very sort of (laughs) overthinky abstract way where I was writing electroacoustic music based on kind of topographical maps of Massachusetts and and that sort of thing. Um, And then after I began, after I graduated, I started touring around all the time and playing in coffee shops and gas stations and things. and started writing songs about kind of discrete elements of the my uh, my experience of these different places i was discovering and trying to understand so it's i guess it's a way for me to like having to think hard about how to reflect or express a place that i'm in gives me a you know a, a way of remaining grounded and a reason to think hard about where i am at any given moment
0: so you mentioned Massachusetts. So I assume we're talking um, about the New England area in terms of being the muse here.
1: Um, it, New England's where I grew up um, and where I <laughs> where I am all the time these days. <laughs> but uh, no, I kind of in non COVID times, I kind of just sprint deliriously around the country uh, all year long.
0: Uh,
1: and that's that's the thing I've really missed during this pandemic. Is you know I. I love New England very much. It's, it's you know, always been my home and always will be, but I miss kind of, you know, Kansas. And, you know, the, there, there are things that New England doesn't have that you have to go somewhere else for.
0: Yeah, definitely, like warm weather in the wintertime. But uh, <laughs> particularly, yeah, you're but, talking
1: to me in like February in New England. So it's <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I, what I'm trying to sort of find is because you're not a lyricist, your creative consciousness – so for instance, you mentioned Kansas and Topeka and Waltham. Waltham, Waltham I never get that right, but you – whatever. What's the official way to pronounce
1: uh, that? It would be Waltham, I think.
0: Okay, okay. We'll ask like, Henry Harrell, it's, but- it's a. It's a totally
1: uh- – you never know.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, given that, as I go down that rabbit hole, um, Topeka has a very different topography, very different feel. So because there are no lyrics in your work, what goes through your creative process in terms of the way you're composing this music as it relates to the what nature's bringing you from these different places?
1: Um, well, going, Kansas is actually... To actually tease up a pretty good example, Um, I have one song, uh, it's called Abilene, um, and I wrote it the first time I drove across Kansas, so um, like we've been mentioning, I'm from New England, so I'm used to kind of existing in a certain topographic situation, which is like hills, and you can never see too far, it's very forested, Um, and so I knew, I mean, I'm not an idiot, I knew that Kansas is like big and open and flat, but I kind of had I had prepared myself for that to feel boring. Like I'd be bored for an eight hour drive. Um, and what I hadn't planned on was that it actually is so flat that it's not boring at all. It's like totally terrifying. Like I had no way of kind of understanding how far away I was for anything or like um, how fast I was going or um, it just felt utterly disorienting and totally exhilarating. So the this piece that I wrote about it, the song that I wrote um, is meant to capture that feeling. It's not supposed to be like a portrait of the landscape of Western Kansas. It's supposed to be what it felt like for me, this guy from this very specific other place, um, to be thrust into that. Um, so it's, it's supposed to feel kind of like broad and wide open and um, expansive, but also kind of frantic and desperate and over-caffeinated. It's like a bunch of, um, uh, bunch of desperate arpeggios for <laughs> for three and a half minutes.
0: But that's fascinating. That it's your perception about what you're experiencing, and then that language becomes, like you say, techniques like arpeggios, or for different songs, different um, choices musically. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I think uh, I decided early on that the, if I was going to get anywhere with this, it was going to be by kind of leaning into the subjective way of writing about stuff. Like it would be, I would feel presumptuous writing anything that claimed to any kind of objectivity about something like a landscape, which kind of strikes everybody differently, depending on the kind of geographical history or like where they're and ent- how they're entering it. If you flew there, if you drove there, if you walked there, like you uh, and again, it, it then it then forces me to consider how I how my experience is colored by all of the, those things in the first place. So it's sort of a therapeutic exercise, but also um, I don't know, it, it <laughs> creatively um, fulfilling as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now we're talking about sort of your creative process. You're a solo artist, and now we're talking about getting inside your head, but. You have held, and I want to get this list correct, because this this is very impressive, artist residencies and fellowships with among others, the National Park Service, the National Forest Service, Harvard, Schmidt Ocean Institute, and others. These are not fly by night organizations. What 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 are your relationships with these institutions and, and specifically what did that involve?
1: Uh they've all been kind of different, but um, it, which is nice it's because it's if they've sort of i've i guess i've done like one residency of some sort you know per year for the last 10 years or so um and they've they've each been this sort of uh injection of you know instability and discomfort into that like keeps my work interesting to me too like just being told like now you have to think about this is a it's a nice um like writing prompt. And then it also has like thrust me into these cool, you know, geographic situations that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Like I, um, one of the earlier ones I did was at Isle Royal national park, um, which is, um, just, you know, it's the least visited national park in the lower 48. And it's because it's this wilderness Island in, uh, the Northern part of Lake Superior. Um, And I can't say that I would have made it there if not for this residency, but, um, but I did, and it, and it really affected me. I I wrote a bunch of music about that, like particular type of, um, um, I won't say loneliness, but that like the feelings of isolation that that brings out and you're, 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 I've never been anywhere that felt quite like what it felt like to be by yourself so far away from other things and other people
0: so i'm just going to pick you gave one example i'm just going to ask you about another and i'm also just kind of curious and i think a lot of other people would be how this relationship is sort of put together what you're commissioned to do you know sort of what your set of expectations are going in what are theirs if if you don't mind i i'm curious to hear Let's as an example the schmidt ocean institute what what was involved with with that
1: um, it was very interesting, that one. <laughs> uh,
0: I had a great time.
1: It was, they, they had, the Schmidt Ocean Institute is, they were established to kind of make oceanography, well, in part, uh, make oceanography and marine science kind of more visible and, and cool. So they, um, this uh, research vessel is fitted out with all the latest kind of cool oceanographic research equipment and it floats around the world and scientists from anywhere can apply to use it for their research Um, and if their application is accepted they can use it totally for free they just have to make all their data publicly available and they have to endure this um, like battery of PR stuff which there'll be like you know like a videographer on board or a like social media person or um, as part of that they, they began an artist at sea program a few years ago um, and I was the, uh, one of the first to do it and the first musician, actually the only musician that I know of that has done it since then. Um, it was an interesting, it was an interesting experience because I was, the idea was that I would be there and kind of writing music in response to the work that the scientists were doing, but there was this sort of scheduling, uh, mix up and I wound up on a leg of this ship's journey that had no scientists on it. So I, I was then in the situation where I, I kind of not not only was I like the thing I was there to do, I couldn't do, but also like I was the only person on this ship that wasn't, you know, like necessary to make it move forward. So it was like me and the crew in the middle of the Pacific Ocean for a month. Um, and it wound up being a phenomenal experience. And I got along great with the crew and I learned a lot. Um, and what I wound up writing about instead was more about that feeling of like, an experience I had never really thought about before, and I was able to kind of process it by writing music that kind of directly addressed what it felt like to kind of be moving, even when you didn't feel like you were moving, or um, being unable to kind of to sort of conceptually locate yourself in a space that where you can't see anything on the horizon for hours or days at a time. And, um, for someone who does the kind of thing I do, it was this sort of perfect experience that I couldn't have, you know, wouldn't even have. I wouldn't even have known to ask for it. But.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting because, like, you talk about this. You talk about Kansas. It's almost like you're in this psychological vertigo that you just sort of plug into your creation, and it's sort of accidentally reinterpreted as this you know, amazing piece of music. It's yeah. Interesting still, process. That's the
1: that's, that's the hope anyway. There's There are plenty of failures <laughs> along the way. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's... I, the reason I think I've continued writing about landscape this whole time is that it... it um, I don't know. I feel like the way that we interact with and engage with and, and reckon with the world is just such a perfect metaphor for so many other parts of our experience like i i I'm, i was a, I, I wrote a whole breakup album about like estuaries and, and like places where the ground is sort of shifting and changing all the time and you don't know what you can lean on or depend on um, i've just found that like if i can find a like a, a good landscape metaphor for something i'm able to write about it more clearly and productively than i than i would if i were just writing about one thing at one time or just writing you know like piano music that sounds nice
0: (laughs) yeah okay so well let's talk about now so as we're recording this and there's a great story behind this song that you dropped today and it's part of an album so i'd love for you to share the story about the song that you just shared with the world and also any Insight we can get on the new record that's coming out.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that backwards. I guess it's probably a better way to set it up. But the, the just the uh, my new record. Well, like we've been talking about, I've done. I've been able to go to all these cool, you know, places and like see all these like amazing, unbelievable things. And and I'm very grateful that my music has uh, given me those opportunities. Um, but I realized, like, I, I don't know, if you, if you had asked me um, what my kind of, like, moral justification was for being a piano player instead of, you know, uh, helping people in a very, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, my friends are, like, doctors and, and uh, like, social workers and teachers, and um, I drive around in a car and play keyboard. So um, the way I've always kind of defended my, job in my lifestyle was saying like well you know like if i'm up on stage talking about my these landscapes every night at, i might be encouraging people to think about how their what their relationships to their environments are like and they might therefore then you know they might become better stewards of those places um then I realized I was kind of like only talking about these places that no one really gets to go. <laughs> it's like I was talking way more about kind of wilderness areas and national parks and like being in the middle of the ocean um, than I was about places that people might actually encounter in their real, you know, or like everyday lives. Uh, and I was starting to worry Couple, like a year or two ago it, it, it really started weighing on me and I, I, was, I was worried that people were maybe taking the wrong message away from my shows and my records um so i set myself the challenge of writing a whole album that would be about um expressions of nature and wildness in kind of ordinary everyday places like plants growing through a sidewalk or um or up the supports of a um highway overpass or a, a rainstorm in a city and like it, it would then give me an opportunity i thought to like then i'll play these shows and like t- tell stories about things that people will recognize as things that they too have you know dealt with and then obviously this pandemic happened so it, I, it, it really kind of made me have to walk the walk <laughs> that I, uh, in terms of not going anywhere and finding you know beauty and inspiration and the stuff that was like literally right outside my door. Um, so that album is called the trouble with wilderness. Um, uh, it's named after, uh, an essay by William Cronin that, um, I really love. And it, it was just kind of about a similar thing. Um, and this song that was released today is the second single and it's the last track on the album and it's a weird one. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's ten minutes long, and it's basically only got
0: two chords in it. Well, let's 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 give it a name so people know the song. <laughs> okay, it's it's
1: about. called um it's called Templates for Limitless Fields of Grass, and it's inspired by this art project by um, an artist named Gary Kachadorian, who I met in Oklahoma a few years ago. And uh, his project is this little Xeroxed booklet of um these very detailed, but there's only like three or four of them, but very richly detailed drawings of blades of grass um, with no kind of like diminishing perspective or, or um, anything. It's all very flat. Uh, and the idea is you're supposed to photocopy these pages as many times as you want, or as many times as you can, and then cover the walls of a room or rooms with them. So um, and then you it kind of creates this sort of, immersive environment of kind of limitless fields of grass where uh wherever you may be um and i was really really taken by this idea when this is done and installed the things you notice are not the kind of like recursive wallpapery elements of it you notice the kind of irregularities and imperfections and how those kind of are multiplied through the pattern um, and i just fell madly in love with this idea of how you could take something so small and then repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and and then wind up with something that was kind of unwieldy and vast and inhabitable and and wild and organic in a way, unpredictable. So, uh, I tried to do that (laughs) with arpeggios. So the, the piece, um, tries to do the same thing with, um, that that the, that his product did with drawings of grass you know, with piano music and it tries to kind of just create a space that the listener can kind of move around inside and um, feel at home in or even disoriented in but only by using these kind of tiny little modular building blocks that I kind of stretch and change over the course of the song and it's the, it's the very last thing in the album so it's a it's, It's meant to be a kind of grand finale.
0: Back with more with Ben Cosgrove. His new album is The Trouble with Wilderness.
1: Hi, I'm Betsy. And I'm Harrison. We're the co-founders of Sustained Music and Nature. Sustain is a nonprofit that makes music a force for nature. By tapping into the emotional power of music and cultural sway of artists, we engage new audiences with their environment. Check out Sustain Music and Nature on social media to see our public land music videos and learn about upcoming concerts in the great outdoors.
0: I'm Charles Copeland, this is Songscapes. My guest is Ben Cosgrove, who like so many performers, has greatly missed a live audience. I knew that I kind of depended on
1: performing to keep myself sane in some way. Like there, there was something about talking to a room full of people every night and like telling them stories and kind of like getting things off my chest. Um, the, the purely like uh, therapeutic elements <laughs> of performing are, are things I really miss. But also, yeah, I, I miss driving around, and I miss connection, and I, I miss a lot of my life. Uh, I mean, my entire life was kind of like driving driving around and like staying on friends' couches for years and years and years. And so, I'm not good at staying in one place. The, the last thing I did really before COVID, my last kind of creative output before the pandemic hit, by like cruel coincidence was this like uh essay that uh, a group in vermont published that was like a, little, a chapbook length essay all about how i had kind of like decided that you know like constant movement was a necessary thing for my you know v- livelihood and happiness and i would just you know I'd, I was it was something i was unwilling to give up and then a couple months later i had to give it up
0: <laughs> you yeah, know really guess what yeah yeah that's tough that's tough um so can you describe what a show of yours is like?
1: Um, there, uh, I, I've been told I'm like a, a singer-songwriter who doesn't sing. So I uh, there's a lot of uh, awkward banter between me and myself. <laughs> and I, um, I take a lot of questions from the audience. Uh, but generally, yeah, I'll, I'll show up and explain each song, play it, tell a story play the play the song that um that goes with it um they're generally intimate i, I play in i like i mean i i play in small rooms by like necessity and choice <laughs> they're uh i i feel like my my music kind of lives best in a tightly packed space um so i play a lot of like listening rooms and i love house concerts they, they are a thing that i miss maybe the most um yeah, it's like a, it's like your classic guy with a guitar situation, except I'm playing instrumental piano music instead.
0: So this, I love the fact that I have this question now because it's such a juxtaposition to what you just said, which is, as we talked about before, you're a solo artist, but you have worked with other artists in multiple genres, and this is, again is just a phen- phenomenal list. The company you keep. So even though you are a self-described piano player, you compose string and horn arrangements for places like Glacier and Grand Teton National Parks, as yeah. well as many others. So you got to talk about that a little bit.
1: <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I just – I I, um, I don't really know quite where it began. I, I um, Over the years, I've come to know a lot of people in the Park Service and in the Department of the Interior and – um as <laughs> that's, i that's i suppose how how that how those connections have happened um playing with other musicians is um i guess a different a different track that my my career has gone on um which i also feel like is totally necessary to my happiness and forward momentum but i i love i i think i would eventually go crazy if all i could do was my own work all the time um, and i really 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 love um, adding instrumental parts, you know in the studio or live to other people's music. It's just I think it's a a good use of the particular weird ways my brain works. Um, and it kind of keeps me absorbing new sounds all the time to um, so yeah, I'm a very kind of um, enthusiastic collaborator. Um, and I love touring with bands and I love, you know, Accompanying songwriters, I, it's uh, th- that's another thing I have really, really missed uh, during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, well, I know you play with Ghost of Paul Revere, and I just had Griffin on, so.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He said that. He said that you guys mentioned. He's a he's a good uh, a good interview.
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is. You yeah. both are, but he gave you a shout out, so oh, thought sweet. I needed to needed well, to let you know that.
1: I, I, I hereby shout him out as well. He's a. He's
0: a All right, mutual shout-outs. So back to where we were going with this, though, is is you're not just collaborating with other artists, but unless I'm mistaken, it's not like you're just sort of taking your piano and joining them. You are actually now diving into different instruments and different instrumentation than the way you create and perform as a solo artist. So it's not just interjecting yourself into... Uh, human collaboration, but you're actually picking up different, different instruments. So yeah.
1: it's, um it's funny. It's sort of a, it, it's a weird way that this whole uh, narrative has gone for me because I, I sort of began life as a multi-instrumentalist or I began like adult life as a multi-instrumentalist. And I, I only kind of whittled down to piano player out of kind of, Convenience and necessity, <laughs> like it was just. Once I started realizing that I was going to have to play live all the time in order to make rent, um, I didn't want to be trucking around. No one would like sit and listen to me play like solo trombone in a bookstore. <laughs> so, I, I kind of like my my first several recordings I made were like very lush and dense, and I kind of put as much stuff in there as I could, um, for better or for worse. And then, when I would play the songs live, it was this sort of interesting challenge of figuring out you know like how can I render this song using only these notes that are here in front of me um like and only the sounds that I can pull out of this one instrument um and that gradually kind of became more and more central to how I work, and that now i'm now I'm really more of a piano player who also plays other stuff instead of you know this guy who plays a bunch of stuff focusing on piano right so when I do play other instruments for other people it's usually in for recordings that I do that nowadays um it's it's sort of like returning to my you know my former self was like jack-of-all-trades sort of person
0: do you ever envision a time where you'll sort of write your own instrumentation and play those other instruments as overdubs or layering into Oh, like, maybe I, maybe now.
1: To- yeah. I, I mean, on my albums, that's, I usually play everything. Um, but, uh, live, it sounds terrifying. Like I, <laughs> I, um, I've always been very, um, I don't know. I don't know if Luddite's the right word, but maybe, yeah. Like terrified of whenever I've used anything more advanced than like, uh, you know, keyboard into amp, then I, um, and I, I'm just terrified the entire time that something will fail. Really. I, I used to um, tour with a loop pedal and a the guitar and stuff. And I'd play the guitar part and the piano over it and whatever. Um, and I, I wasn't getting good performances because I was so in my head about like, what if I don't press the right like, button? Um, so I, I've found also that like I my shows are better and the music is better the more I kind of strip things away.
0: More the intimate. Way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And more honest, maybe too. Like, I, uh, not that it's dishonest to, you know, to use multiple instruments, obviously, but like, I find that since I'm, since I have to make these decisions about what to include and what not, and it, it makes me feel kind of more, yeah, intimate's maybe the right word, what you said, like, tied to all the things I'm sharing with whatever group of people is there.
0: Yeah, I just thought of something. I mean, I've seen Neil Young a million times, and and one time he did a tour where he kind of walked to different parts of the stage and clicked loops and stuff like that. And you were just sitting there going, "All I want you to do is just play the acoustic guitar, and like, we, we don't <laughs> yeah. we don't need the we don't need the extra." Like, we're yeah, good.
1: The, my favorite Neil Young recordings are the uh, like the, the early like him yelling <laughs> while playing an acoustic yeah. guitar.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're good. Um, so you hinted at this earlier with your ill-timed manifesto about moving around, uh, (laughs) but, uh, you know, you're also, in addition to everything else we've talked about, you're, you're a nonfiction author. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Um, sure. Uh, author is maybe, uh, getting out in front of my skis, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I, I write nonfiction. I, I, um, short form essays usually, and it's always... Weirdly, I never really write about music. I, I, I write, all, all the essays that I've published have been about the same things my music is about really, like landscape, place, or conservation, or um, I, yeah, I, I wrote a profile of the, um, the woman who, like single-handedly saved the Nashua River, which is right around here. Um, I wrote her, I, I got this great um, uh, environmental journalism fellowship right at the beginning of my career um, from Middlebury college where they gave me, um, and nine other journalists, their early career journalists, um, like a big pile of money to like take a year and research, you know, a product that we proposed. And mine was, uh, a soundscape conservation and like acoustic ecology, um, in national parks. So this is sort of like, it was around the time I was just beginning to tour as well and kind of figure my way around that. So I like, I I think my, like, big bang moment origin story thing was certainly um at least in part this year that i spent like either playing piano in like dive bars (laughs) or um talk like hiking around with acoustic scientists talking about microphones and noise pollution and to what degree um natural sounds and um unnatural sounds, air quotes, um, contribute to the identity of a place. Um, so after doing nothing but those two things for a year, I was pretty well, you know, forged and have basically done, you know, something like that ever since.
0: So that's a good segue to your involvement with the landscape music project.
1: Uh, yes, that's a, I, I, um, it turns out there are other people who do this. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> I know, um, we're, and we're all quite different, it seems. Um, I haven't done anything with them in person, but I've I've met Nell Schachman, who who founded the group, um, and it's really interesting just to like to scroll through their website. That's I think landscapemusic.org, um, and they have you know little profiles of the different um, musicians and composers that she's it's really just her. She's kind of like stumbled on um, who, uh, who write about place or about landscape or about environment. Uh, And everybody kind of has it. Like my strategy for dealing with this is slightly different from what everyone else's is, which um, is cool. It's, it's a neat. um, I I don't think there's a right way and a wrong way to write music about landscape. (laughs) And I'm glad that there are a lot of people out there trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah, that's how we learn from each other. So before I let you go, I ask all my guests this question. Is there a song – and when I'm asking you this question, I almost think it doesn't necessarily have to be lyrics. But is there a song that you think of when I ask you one that stands out that speaks to you about nature in a positive way that's either been an influence on you or Mm – is a go-to?
1: Yeah. Um, can I can I give you two? Yeah, you can give me two. Okay, okay, cool. Because that I've got it. I've, I can I can't whittle it down beyond these two. It so was <laughs> acceptable. Uh, the first will be um, uh, the tuning meditation by Pauline Oliveros. Do you know this this piece?
0: I don't, but uh, I'm gonna look it up as soon as we're done. Uh,
1: well, it's it's this very cool. It's just a set of five instructions. Um, and the five instructions are, and it's for any number of people in a room together. Um, the instructions are inhale deeply, exhale on the note of your choice, listen to the sounds around you and match your next note to one of them on your next breath, make a note no one else is making repeat. And so Mm. what happens if you're able to find a recording of this, it's one of the most amazing sets of sounds that i've heard it's just this kind of like amorphous amoeba of um like diatonic notes they're, they're all kind of um because their people are constantly matching to each other and then like linking away there's there's always these points of connection it, it never sounds like um a bunch of random sound it's always this like they're held together by all this t- connective tissue um and i it, it strikes me as a good illustration of what is cool about nature in that it's like you you can't disaggregate its parts it's like it's literally interconnected and interdependent like what every person does affects what everyone else will do in some you know indirect way um and so like yeah it's just overwhelming and non-linear and free of narrative it's it's just like almost literally wild it's just like it's like being a in a part of an ecosystem and that like each part influences all the other. So cool. that's one. <laughs> and then the other one I would say is, um, do, are, you, are you familiar with the the, um, the, the uh, Disintegration Loops by uh, William Basinski? No. This is a, another- But I love learning. Project.
0: That's the best part of doing this. Yeah, I love learning he's, about it. He's, um,
1: he's, he found these tapes, this is around like 2000, 2001, um, he found these tapes that he had made uh, um, in the '80s um, of his music, and uh, he made—he <laughs> found that, like, as he played the tapes back to kind of copy them over and stuff, they had like begun to degrade. And each time the tape passed the tape head, um, it would deteriorate. So he made these like short loops of tape, and then ran them through the tape head over and over and over and over again, and every time the loop when goes goes through it loses some of its clarity um and uh he made four albums of this phenomenon and each one is like 75 minutes long um and it's mesmerizing because you can hear as you listen to the whole whole thing in each case for like 75 minutes or whatever it is um you can hear or you find that you're listening to different things at the end that you were in the beginning, like you, you you stop hearing this fragment of melody or anything, and you start hearing kind of these, um, like hisses and w- one note. will sort of it's like start to stand out, and um, and uh, I don't know. It strikes me as a good illustration of, or you know, it feels like nature to me in that it's like um, unpredictable, um, like entropic, uh, and out of the artist's hands like he he kind of just like set this machine in order and then like let it do its work um which is something i've always tried to like i've never been able to write a piece like that and I, I'd, I'd like to someday like set uh, set up a set of circumstances that will then kind of like roll on without me um i don't know and it, it's in it's beautiful and surprising ways which is you know the best thing about nature
0: Ben Cosgrove's new album is The Trouble with Wilderness. For more, go to BenCosgrove.com and also check out his Instagram page at BenCosgroveMusic and on Facebook.com slash BenCosgroveMusic. And by the way, the disintegration loops and tuning meditation are both available on Spotify. I'm Charles Copland, and you have been listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustained, music, and nature. For more, check us out at sustainmusicandnature.org.